Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Well, what do you mean have to swallow it up? You got to swallow real hard because you're going to have to say something you don't want to say. And that's step number two. What don't I want to say, Pastor Mark? Step number two is you have to say, I'm sorry. Okay, I can do that. No, that's not the end. Forgive me. When I do that, it defeats my selfishness. So I have to swallow real hard. And I have to say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then I have to forget the issue and move on. Forgiveness, especially when you believe that we were the wrong party, is one of the most difficult things to do. Everything in your fallen nature rises up to defend self. Your pride gets hurt and you want to lash out to strike back. As Christ followers, though, Pastor Mark reminds you that there's another path you must take. The scripture shows you that your ultimate example, Jesus, had more done to him than you'll ever have done to you. Moreover, he was completely innocent. His response to the evil done to him was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the template you must follow. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Philippians chapter 4 with his continuing study called Stand United for the Sake of the Gospel. It was interesting. The other day I was watching Dr. Oz and he had another physician on there that I've seen many, many times. And he was talking about forgiveness outside the context of God. God had nothing to do with it. He's just talking about forgiveness. And his comment was this. There's so many people I see in my practice that are bitter and angry and, and they've never forgiven people. And because of that, it affects them emotionally and physically. Of course, he really didn't say spiritually, but I just want to say this. The keys that I'm giving you today, if you're not in relationship with God and there's a broken relationship with people and you haven't taken your part to finish it, it will affect you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so that's why God says, no, 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 no. Do you think these two ladies enjoy getting up every day? No, it was misery. Their energy was gone. Their zeal was gone. And God knew it. And so Paul says it's going to require an act of your will. Notice what he said in that verse. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit. So I have to do something about it. Now, let's go back to verse 3. Philippians 4, verse 3, right where you were. Just a couple books back. Here's what happened. In the church... There were pastors and elders back there. Paul knew them. And so I want you to look at me and I'm going to explain the principle. Paul's going to say in verse 3, he's going to say to the elder in the church, uh, you're going to have to get these two ladies together. 
He's going to ask for a third party. He's going to ask for a negotiator. Now, sometimes if you're talking with a friend and they say, well, you know, we had to go to a counselor. And you go, oh, really? And then you walk away and you say to your friend or husband, I had to go to a counselor. They were really in bad shape, man. They had to go to a counselor. No. You will discover in your life, there will be times because of my stubbornness that I need a third party to step in. Paul knew these women, as mature as they were in the Lord, they couldn't get over the hurt. So he says to this man, he says, come on in. Let's read it. Look at verse 3. Yes, can I ask you, I'll just use the word elder. Elder Joe, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. You see, sometimes we simply need a third party to come in. And what happens when they come in? This third party comes in and he sits down and negotiates between these two hurting Christians. And this person, man or woman, has a whole different, fresh perspective. This third party isn't involved with, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. No, they're just walking and go, after that, you're arguing about that? Are you crazy? And afterward, we're like, man, we've been stupid. Have you ever felt stupid after, you know, what in the world did I allow that to happen for? Well, that's really what a third party does. They just come in and go, look, I have a fresh set of eyes. Here's how we're going to solve this problem. So you need to understand that uh, having a third party is not a bad thing. Now, we have a principle of counseling here, so you'll understand that. Because some people come here and go, Pastor Mark, I'd like to go counseling. Okay, we do. And normally our counseling is three times. And that's it's adultery, drugs, alcohol, things like that. We have to do a little more extensive. Three times. Well, why three times? Because most of the counseling you will receive in your life is being done right now. Do you understand what I just said to you? The most powerful counseling comes from listening to the principles of the Word of God. So one of the times we say to people, they'll come in and, Pastor Mark, I want to be counseled every week by you. I say, praise God. See you this weekend. Is that true? Yes, it is. Now, I want to I ask you to something. Get your finger ready. Just I want you to point to the person that's the biggest problem to you. And if you point to your wife, you're dead before the service is over. Am I right? This is the biggest problem right here. It's not my wife. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So where is the counseling really going to be needed? In you. Okay, I like to do this. No, and that's what the counselor will do. He'll look with fresh eyes and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Quit this. Mm. Now, what do you think this elder would have used as counseling material? I believe he probably would have used scriptures that Paul spoke about. And I want you to turn back where you were in Ephesians. And I want to give you a scripture that Paul wrote that I think he could have used. It's powerful. And as he goes there, I need to remind you, when we counsel people here, men, women, couples, Andrina and all of her gals and all of these things that happen with the counseling. In case you want to know, this is our counseling manual. It's the word of God. It covers every single 
thing that you could ever imagine. Now, here's what Paul wrote, and I believe this counselor probably addressed this. Notice what it says in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Who is this written to? Christians. Huh? Anger, slander, malice, believers? Yeah, the the books in the Bible, the New Testament letters are written to the church, to believers. So Paul, first of all, says you got to get rid of all this stuff. Then look what he says. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, where there's unresolved conflicts, there's going to be resentment that builds up. When resentment builds up, it's due to unforgiveness. When unforgiveness begins to grow, it leans its way and grows into a hard heart. And with a hard heart comes the enemy of bitterness. Life is too short to live with unforgiveness and bitterness. I can end that. I can end the hurt and the disunity and be healed myself simply by forgiving. I believe that elder may have used this verse. Notice what it says. Make allowance for each other's faults. There's no perfect people. We all blow it. And forgive your friends who offend you. Is that what it says? Hello? Does that word there say, forgive your friend who offends you? No, what's the word it uses? What, what does anyone mean? You mean the guy that drives me crazy or? Yes. Anyone. Anyone who offends you. Now, Pastor Mark, why should I do that? Well, here's the answer. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. That's not a wish. That's a command. Now, notice all forgiveness starts with God. Christ is our role model of forgiveness. Paul wrote this. Paul had been forgiven of murdering Christians. He knew the power of forgiveness. So Paul simply writes, be like, if you're going to be like Christ, you have to forgive anyone for any circumstance. Now let me just say a comment there quickly and move on. Forgiving someone of something doesn't mean that what they did to me was right. I'm not forgiving them of the issue. I'm forgiving them of the principle. Jesus on the cross said to those Roman soldiers and the religious leaders, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. He wasn't saying they did the right thing by nailing me to the cross. So there's many times that I forgive somebody, and it's not forgiving way. If you were raped, if your house is broken into, I have to forgive that person. But I don't agree with it. I would never date them. Nothing wrong with going to court and see them serve time for it. But I can still forgive them. Understand? He said, well, Pastor Mark, I can't do that. Oh, yes, you can. I'll show you how in a moment. See, that's where we have to live. Otherwise, we're in bitterness. 
And we end up being in jail our whole lives. Now, here's the two sentences I want you to write. I'll give you a moment here. I want you to write these down, please. We are forgiven by God so we can forgive others. The only reason I can forgive is because it happened in my life. All the things I've done. And by the way, I'm still living in forgiveness. Because God's still forgiving me of my sins. Things I don't do right. The second one is this. We are able to forgive. Pastor Mark, I can't do it. No, 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 no. We are able to forgive because God gives us the power to forgive. Anytime you see a commandment in the Bible, that commandment comes with the power of God to do it. God never asked us to do anything that we couldn't do. Now, you can't do it on your own. But the Spirit, little angel up there, the Spirit's going to speak to you and say, Hey, I'll help you. Come on, let's do the right thing. The old devil on the other ear is going to go, No way. Don't you dare give in and do that. You weren't at fault. So that battle continues, and the Scripture simply says to us, make allowance for others' faults, forgive anyone who offends you. Now, how did Christ forgive us? He forgave us when we didn't deserve it. Am I right? In fact, the Bible says he died for me, and I didn't even know him. I didn't deserve to be forgiven. You didn't either, but he forgave me. How did he forgive me? He forgave me freely of everything. And last, he forgave and then he forgot. I want to give you some steps this morning to living in forgiveness. So I'm going to give you three steps. So please write this down. There's more, but these are the three keys. And let's see how they work. Number one, would you do something right now with me? Just before you even write it down, just swallow real hard. Just go. Swallow real hard. So the first thing I have to do, if I'm going to, to live in forgiveness, is what? I have to swallow real hard. Pastor Mark, what are you, crazy? No, I have to swallow real hard because that defeats my pride. Well, what do you mean I have to swallow real hard? you got to swallow real hard because you're going to have to say something you don't want to say. And that's step number two. What don't I want to say, Pastor Mark? Step number two is you have to say, I'm sorry. Okay, I can do that. No, that's not the end. Forgive me. When I do that, it defeats my selfishness. So I have to swallow real hard. And I have to say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then I have to forget the issue and move on. Now, the enemy, when we move on in the book of Philippians, we'll have a whole two or three weeks on the battle in the mind. And one of the things the enemy loves to do after we forgive people Oh, he likes to bring that right back up. And he brings this like a DVD puts it. And then he, he plays it in 3D for us. And we're going through the whole situation again. And pretty soon we're reliving it. And it's defeating us. So let me talk a little bit about this issue of forgetting. Now, what do I mean by that? The word forget here really means I'm no longer influenced or affected by the memory. I know it happened. I can tell you this. Being a pastor in church as elders, lots of hurts go with that. You guys, 
you know, you, you haven't been a pastor, so you don't understand the hurts. Just like your life. Lots of hurts in your life. No better, no worse. Just, just Lots of people think, well, I'm just going to come to church. Everybody's perfect in church. Man, I'd like to work at the church. you got all these perfect people. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm the boss. I'm not perfect. Still want to come to work? So there's lots of hurts. In fact, if I think back, I can think of one right now. Many, many, many years ago, probably 25, maybe more than that, where there was a church split, and some people blame me for it. I wasn't at fault at all. And I remember my daughter coming home one night. She was about six or seven from school. And she said, Daddy, they made fun of me all day. They said, you split the church. (laughs) I laid in the bed that night and cried all night. I was fighting with God. Because I wanted to take... That was 100% a lie. And after we left the church, the leadership that moved in came to us a few months later and said, why didn't you tell us what was happening? We said, we tried to keep it out of the public so that we could solve the situation. They forgave us totally. But see, the hurt had happened. So what are you going to do with that hurt? Now, I remember it today. I didn't ever forget it. When it affected my child, oh, I'll never forget it. But it doesn't cause me problems anymore. How do you do that? We studied the book of Leviticus. And I'll go through this really quick with you. In the book of Leviticus, Old Testament, so it's not like what we do today, there was something called Yom Kippur. And the high priest, once a year, could go in the holies of holies, and he would offer sacrifice to God for the sins of the people for the whole year. The way it worked, at the beginning, he'd have two goats. They'd cast lots for the two goats. The one that was chosen to be the sacrifice, uh, the high priest would take his neck and cause all the blood to go and kill that animal because the shedding of blood, blood covers sin. Without the shedding of blood, there isn't. He would take it in and offer it on the mercy seat. And when he came back out, the people went, because all their sins were forgiven for the year. But then there was another step. There's one goat left. And he would take his hands and he would, in essence, in general, confess the sins of the people on this goat. And they would take the goat to the edge of the Judean hills and take the rope off of him. And the people would stand and what, you know, it's not a sheep. A sheep's going to come right back to you. A goat's going, I'm out of here. And they'd watch the goat go over the hills, over the Judean mountains, until you never see the goat again. The Bible says when he forgives your sin and my sin, he separates it as far as the east is from the west. To remember it no more. That's amazing. Now some of you this morning. Walk in condemnation. Because the enemy keeps bringing up. That which God's forgiven. And forgotten. Let it go. Quit walking in bondage this morning. If you've asked God to forgive it. He has. And he remembers it against you all no more. You quit remembering it this morning. Because see, you're not at peace within you. You can't do life 
in that kind of bondage. Well, the second most important relationship in our lives is marriage. God designed marriage as the building block of society. Satan hates it. So all the principles I gave you of solving personal relationships in the church or individually with ourselves, they all apply to marriage. But there's all kinds of unrealistic expectations. This couple got married. Remember what they said here? Well, there was problems in the relationship. Hello? You're going to get married with no problems? And next, well, he wasn't really what I was expecting. What are you expecting? Let me give you this morning, for those of you that are married and those of you who are thinking of getting married, listen to these. These are unrealistic expectations of marriage. My spouse will be everything I ever dreamed a spouse should be. Here's a big one. Being a Christian eliminates all marriage problems. I like this one. I can't hardly say it. I can change my spouse. I wrote this at the end or die trying. For those of you that are clueless, this one's for you. Men and women are basically the same. You try that one, baby. It ain't going to work. I want to give you one that isn't funny. It's unrealistic. My spouse will meet all my needs. No person can meet all my needs. Only God can meet all my needs. See, if you go in with that, if you go in with unrealistic expectation, there's not going to be much good happening in your marriage. There's going to be more conflict. All kinds of things come. But there is hope for all of us. Now, as I said today, as of yesterday, Linda and I have been married 45 years. And I want to give you a guaranteed success for every marriage. So listen up. Listen to the story. Men, this one's for you especially. Guaranteed success in your marriage. After 45 years, here's what I've learned. Get ready. During a group counseling session, husbands were separated from their wives who were told to stand in one of two lines. The husbands who had been dominated by their wives were to stand in the line on the left. The husbands themselves who dominated their wives were to stand in the the line on the right. Every husband but one was in the left. One lonely man was standing over here on the right. And the counselor said to the man, why are you standing on the right? And the man responded, I have no idea. My wife just told me to stand here. (laughs) So, so... So men, my, here's my solution. Successful marriage, just do what your wife always says. How many of your wives like that right now? Yeah, I knew it. Scratch that sucker out of the tape. It ain't going to work. But there is, there is a key to a successful marriage. And you see it right here in Psalm 127. Look at it. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Today, Pastor Mark reminded you about the importance of the marriage relationship. He told you again what Satan's goal is, which is to steal, kill, and destroy all of the relationships God wants to strengthen. You were taught what to do to make things right with your spouse. Swallow your pride. Say, I'm sorry, and forgive. These things are so hard, but so necessary to do. 
We know social media is a big part of everyone's lives, and it's a great way to stay connected with each other. We'd like to add a little bit of joy and Jesus to your Facebook and Twitter pages, so come like and follow us. You'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest information about Pastor Mark, the Ministry of Lessons for Living, and the church behind it, Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to connect. That's LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, we'll hear Pastor Mark conclude his teaching, Stand United for the Sake of the Gospel. He will teach about the reason Satan wants disunity in the body of Christ so that the spread of the gospel and the power of the church will be weakened. You will learn about your primary need of becoming a Christ follower so that you can find peace in other areas of your life. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time for another edition of Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.